Well, good morning. Maybe not. Maybe good. Is it a good morning or? You know, when you come up to teach and you say good morning and then there's not a response, it sets up the morning as, thank you, Lance, for recovering there for everyone. Hey, it's great to be together. And uh, I don't say that half-heartedly. Um, I love, I love gathering. There's something about even being an athlete, I think that there's this picture that feels a lot like it is this morning, that the, the pre before a game. And if you played sports, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the, the anticipation before, and it's that, that sense of who you're going to kind of go out and do battle with and alongside, and there's that sense of energy. And then it's to come back in, hopefully with a win, and you come back into the locker room, and there's this, this sense of energy. And we'll watch this unfold on a you know, literally today with the Super Bowl, but I, I feel, just as we were singing, like, ah, I love the church. And this morning, we're launching a series that I, I want you to understand that, uh, and hear me clearly this morning, that it is the most important and most amazing thing that you could ever do with your entire life. In fact, it is the thing that God's called you to be a part of for your entire life, your whole life. And I love the church, and it's, we're calling it the Amazing Local Church, and I love our church here in Green Bay. I know I'm from California, the left coast, whatever you want to call it, or, you know, nothing good comes from there. Okay. Um, I love it here. Um, I don't want to move back. I love our church, and I love our body, and, and I love what God's doing in our church body. But I want to tell you this morning about the amazing part of it. Because maybe this morning you're here new and you think maybe the amazing things to you are some of the program elements or the facility or the services. And I want to I let you in on a biblical secret, a, a, an uncovering, if you will, of what the amazing part is. You know, we've, again, finished a year and we're, we're on kind of now the new year already. And I was looking at video of Super Bowls. They have this great video on the NFL video. It's it's the one play from all the Super Bowls linked together, like with, with just audio and stuff. It's amazing. So it's always it's one play from Super Bowl one all the way um, till last Super Bowl last year. And it just it, it made you recapture kind of these moments of amazement in any of those games. And so I thought, well, it'd be interesting for me to assess what have been the amazing things in life, in my life. And then I thought, well, Maybe just look up in that very spiritual place called Google um, to see what's been amazing in the life of other people. What, what is it with every, what would somebody else say are the 10 most amazing moments in life? And I came upon some lists and just the depth of, of what these were on these lists. And so listen to these. Number 11 of uh, the most amazing moments in life, might I just highlight a chocolate milkshake. Okay, okay, so number 10, uh, a hot towel coming out of the dryer. Now again, I know some of these are good, but remember what we've, what we've looked for are, what are the most amazing moments in your life? Um, lying in bed, listening to the rain outside. Hmm. Okay, this one was an interesting one. Um, and number six was getting mail. Now, this one was confusing because often I don't like what I get in the mail. Are you with me? Like, okay, yeah. There's a lot of things I don't like in the mail. Uh, this one, again, says something about the person. Maybe they're way too much. Um, no lines at the supermarket. As, as the 10 most amazing moments in their life. I'm, again, I'm highlighting for you. This is a list that people have put together, compiled. Okay, number three, a hot shower. It's funny, there you go, Somebody, somebody's like, yeah. Um, uh, here's number two, laughing so hard your face hurt. Again, I'm going to say the most amazing Moments, and you're like, what, what would those be for you? If, if we had to assess, you this morning had to kind of put together a list of what are the top most amazing moments in your life. 
What would they be? Maybe children. I know for, for Trish and I, we, we had four daughters. Um, Trish had a larger role in that process. Um, <laughs> man, the birth of our daughters was amazing. That was, that was an amazing moment. All four. Uh, I, our marriage, graduating from school. I could just go down a list of things that I think, whoa, those were pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, this morning, I, I want you to hear that if we were to amass all of the amazing moments in this room and imagine for one moment that all they simply could fit in is this thimble. As amazing as they were, I'm not minimizing that they were good moments or great moments, but imagine just for a moment that all of these moments could fit only in this thimble. It wasn't a measure of if you enjoyed them or not, it just means that they could fit in comparison to what God calls you to in the amazement of the local church. What would be the comparison to this thimble? Would it be this room? Actually, could it be a stadium, giant stadium, as we're going to see this afternoon? Probably more appropriately, it would be all of the stadiums in the world filled with the glory and the amazement of what God does through the life of people in the local church. Friends, this morning, I think many people today that call themselves Christians have traded a thimble of amazement. Some things in their life, whether it's job, whether it's pursuing retirement, whether it's power, it's, it's uh, different successes in life, it's relationships, marriage, all those are great things. None of those are evil things. They're good. They're like a hot shower in comparison to the amazement of what God does in the local church. And this morning you're going to hear from me with no apology that there is nothing greater that we are calling you to, to following Jesus Christ and being a part of the local church. And maybe this morning to clarify really what that means because it's not probably what you're used to. Let me tell you where I got some of this passion and a little bit of this energy around this. I grew up in a home that uh, wasn't very stable. We moved often. My, we left my father on and off often. If they're watching, um, I, I love both my parents. A lot of reconciliation there, but it's, it was rough. And yet, in, when I was in 1971, uh, I was a young boy, seven years old. And I can remember in that month of July uh, in Apple Valley, California, that we had just went to church, a very traditional church, and I heard a message about heaven and hell. And, and this pastor got up and said that, and I went home and asked my mom as there was a, a, a desert thunderstorm going on. At the foot of my bed, I said, Mom, I, I, I don't like that option of hell. What, what does it mean to know Jesus? And I think the best my mom knew how, she got both my brother and I on our knees. And we reached out and grabbed the hand of Christ and trusted him. As frail and as unintellectual as it could be. Meaning as a seven-year-old boy saying, I, I don't know all the theology of scripture, but I trust in who Jesus says he is. And I trust that I'm going to give my life to him. From that point on, I did what many people do today, and especially in our culture here in Wisconsin, is I bought into the idea that religion is what saves. In other words, what I did is I thought, well, then it's really knowing more and following all the rules. Do the right things and don't do the wrong things, right? And you grow up with that guilt and shame, and you recognize that, gosh, you fail, and you kind of internalize it and guilt yourself more, and I'm going to try harder, Man, I lived a lot of years this way in religion. I went to youth ministries. I went to church. I memorized verses. I read the Bible. For all intents and purposes, I played the part of a Christian. But it wasn't really until I was in the Christian high school that I was placed in. My mother put us in there. And I all of a sudden got to meet people that were a part of the local church. That might confuse you this morning because it wasn't people necessarily that were attending a meeting. This wasn't in a building of a church. They were actually teachers and, and people that had jobs. One of those was Mr. Fair. I hated English. Anybody with me? I hated English. Um, I couldn't stand English, but I loved my English teacher, Mr. Fair. Mr. Fair was in his mid-50s, and I could, 
before Dead Poets Society came out, that movie, I'll never forget one of the classes that I came into. I walked in, and there was Mr. Ferrer standing on the desk with a wig on. <laughs> and he taught all class that way. And I remember we, some of us asked as we left, he says, why did you do that? He goes, you listened, didn't you? And he did. He captured us. But something about him that taught me that what the local church feels like and looks like. It was the last week of school and I gotten in trouble somehow. Um, it was a mistake. I was a perfect kid. No. Um, I had done something wrong and I was at a Christian school. And so from Mr. Ferrer, my punishment was to rewrite First, uh, Second, and Third John three times word for word. It was the last week of school. Well, as a great student as I was, not, I um, procrastinated and waited the last day of school thinking, ah, he's going to let me off. I'll never forget Mr. Fair looking at me and said, well, you better get started. Everybody's been dismissed. I sat down, I started writing, I can't remember if it took me an hour or two to write the first, the first one of First, Second, Third John. And I looked at him, and I remember feeling that sense of just kind of despair and like, ah. And I watched him pick up a notebook, and I watched him pick up a pen and sit down right next to me, and he goes, I'll do copy two. You do the third. Ah. Who does that? He taught me about grace, and see, Mr. Farrah knew what it meant to be the church, not about a meeting, but a movement. It didn't end there for me. There was... A football coach, Mr. Kendrick, who is also my Bible teacher, who he prayed here a couple years ago, uh, and he was also uh, my PE teacher, my football coach, and, and a Bible teacher. And I remember him always pointing to me and saying, there's something God has for you, Troy Murphy. And I kept thinking, man, he really does not know me or my family, because that can't be true. And he used to just say that to me all the time. Well, I took a Bible finder for him in my senior year, and 20 years after my graduation, I, it had to be when I was about 38 or 40, I don't even remember now, doesn't age start blending? I don't, sometime in the past, he caught up with me and had my Bible final sealed in an envelope. And he, and he said, I always believed, Troy Murphy, God had something for you. There's something about these people who knew something about the heartbeat of what it meant to be a part of the local church. It was so much more than a meeting. It goes on and on the list. Another one, Kurt Carell, who is a business owner and had, had wealth. And I watched a man not only love on us and care for us as a single parent family who we struggled often but I watched him mentor us and teach us and be so grace-filled with us. He was the one that taught me never to loan money. He says, always give it. Never give a loan. If you have it, give it away. I've never heard that before. You don't ask people for it back? He goes, no, because then there's always a string. I mean, when I started to get around some of these people, and the list goes on and on from men and women that were around me, Friends, they weren't a part of a meeting, they were a part of a movement. It was called the local church, and that is where I started to lose perspective about religion. I started to lose that sense of this is more than just doing the wrongs, or not doing the wrongs, excuse me, doing the rights and not doing the wrongs. It's, it's more than a list. It was about this time that I got invited by another coach that was, uh, he was a volunteer youth pastor for a new church plant. And he uh, was starting a youth group or youth meeting, and he, there was a rented high school that they were going to have this meeting at, and I was going to a different church, very traditional. He says, Troy, why don't you come? Um, I said, yeah, what's it called? He goes, come and enjoy. I, that's a horrible name. I would never name anything like that. Sorry if anybody's done that. Come and enjoy. Was, I, but I went. I remember walking in, and there was no high school band. There was no music. There was no lights. There were no treats, there was no games, there was nothing except a high school classroom. I remember walking in, it was just school desks, I sat down and there's my coach, mind you the 80s, high white socks, over tight polyester coaching shorts, right, way too high, remember those? So wrong, how did we get it so wrong? Uh, a whistle, 
And I'll never forget him starting and saying, I want you to think for me for a moment as he addressed us in the room. There are about 20 of us. He said, I want you to imagine for a moment that we've been given every resource the world could offer. What if we were given every resources, every, every dollar, every scientific mind, every expert in marketing, every kind of expertise that the world could offer, and we were given the, the mission to do one thing, to build the greatest roller coaster ride ever known to man. This is how we started it. I'm like, where am I? This is not church. So sure enough, students started to raise their hand. Oh, this is like before a lot of loops. We'd do it this, and we'd do magnet tracks and go over the ocean, go under the... We had like tons of things going on. I was compelled. Well, I, I have, what about this? And you just watched everybody launch in and start to give their part. And then as just simple as that football coach was, but how profound... He set his chalk down on the board and he said, the God of the universe decides to send his son and call everyone who is willing to follow him to do one thing with given every power the universe could have to build the church. Ah, I was done. I had purpose. Friends, that day wrecked me. It didn't matter about being an architect anymore, it didn't matter about making money, it mattered how can I give every part of my life about following Jesus and contributing to the local church. Giving my gift, giving the gifts that I've been given, giving my time, giving my energy. And from that day forward, I've recognized that life will offer a thimble full of amazing things, but it does not come even close to what I've experienced in the church. And I could never even script for you where I'm in today. If you would have told me back at 18 years old, this is what I'd be doing today, I would say, no way. And I have been on the ride of my life. And I know this morning you need to hear, he's asking you to join the same ride. It didn't end there because that purpose, then st I started to see that change people. A ripple effect started to happen all throughout my life. And I started to be a part of ministry and using my gifts. And sometimes I use my gifts, friends, that I, all of a sudden I had a guitar and I tried to lead worship a couple times. And then I had some loving people saying, hey, that's probably not such a good idea. <laughs> and you experiment and you realize what gives you life and passion. But you started to understand, wow, I have a part I'm not a seat sitter. I'm not somebody that's in the ride for the line and then keep pass, letting people pass you up. I'm on it. And it has its highs and it has its lows. And there's sometimes, like Trisha said to you, you'll, you know, you'll feel like you're going to die on the trip, right? I, I, I know that in my journey in the church, I've, I felt that way. But there was this season, and it's not, it's not stopped since then. I started to find my purpose, and I started to give my best efforts to whatever we could do with the local church. I probably gave too much time, too much money at the sacrifice of a lot of things in my life, but I was committed to it. That same coach started to put me into places of ministry, and he knew I was competitive, so he'd say things like, hey, Troy, there's nobody coming from this high school. I bet you can't get anybody to come from that high school. I'm like, oh, yeah? So one high school I started to go after as I amassed about three or four students that were Christian students, and I'd call them seat sitters. People that said they were Christians, but had uh, no part of the ride, not involved in, in giving their life to it. And so I pulled them together at a Bob's Big Boy in California and said, I just need one thing from you. This will be the last time I ask anything from you. Could you make a list of the most influential people from the high school? 20. Give me 20. They did. They gave me 20 people. And, I, and they said, do they have to be Christian? I said, oh, no, absolutely not. I just want to know, who are people listening to at your high school? I said, next, put an X by the person that you see never will come to Jesus, will never step foot in a church. His name was Mark Otto. So I took it upon myself to go after these people. One was a drug dealer known had enough money to buy his own house in that city, and, and uh, 
I loved diving into relationship with some of these people. And it was really funny when I went to his party, his drug party. And I came to the door and knocked on the door, and I'm this youth leader. And how you doing? What's going on in here? <laughs> and to walk in and to see people cleaning things up really fast and putting, I didn't know you'd be here, or you. I'm walking through. I started to build relationship with some of these people who didn't know Jesus. And, and for some reason, God started to give me favor with them. But let me tell you, four months later, in a room like this, that football coach got up and taught about Jesus. And I would have paid money to be able to videotape and show you this, this morning the faces on the Christian kids when Mark Otto stood up. And he came forward, and I thought, wow, it's changing people. This is not about meetings or monuments or buildings or programs. It's about people. And so I've been on this ride, this amazing ride, and, and this thimble of a life of amazing things that are good things, that some of those things I want to enjoy in my life, but I cannot even compare. It can't compare to the phone call I get years later from a guy named Jeremy McGinty. He says, Troy, you don't know me, or you don't remember me, but you, you might remember me. He says, I was the guy coming to your youth ministry back then. He said that would only go to pick up girls. <laughs> he says, but what you did seeded something in my life. He says, I want you to come down and visit me because I'm a pastor of a large church in San Diego. Ah! I, I get calls like that, and then I'm going, oh my gosh, this is so much more than a program. And so, friends, this morning, tomorrow, this morning's not about the songs and the, and the message. It's about the hope that Jesus Christ offers in calling you to be a part of the church. And this is just the locker room. And you're going to have to go out and be the church, like a Kurt Corral, like a Mr. Kendrick, like a Bobo Shears. I mean, Mr. Fair, go down the list. You're called to be the church. And there is nothing else in this life worth more than being a part of it. It doesn't mean you get a paycheck from it. I think we were all called to be a part of the local church. We're just going to get paychecks from different places, right? God's going to pay you at that business that you run and operate. God's going to pay you by doing the taxes or accounting and, and the firm that you work with. God's going to give you student aid at college, amen? Whatever it is, he's placed you as the church. Now, I apologize this morning because I'm not really excited about this topic at all. Can you tell? But I don't want you to miss this series to say that I'm telling you, I don't do this as a career path. I do it because God changed me from religion to relationship, understanding there's a purpose in all of our lives to not just learn about Jesus and sit in the line, but to get on. When the Holy Spirit is in charge and when God's anointing power is on a church, lost people are getting found. Found people are growing up. Lonely people are getting enfolded. And bored people are finding a purpose and a cause. And the poor are being cared for. Friends, that's what I love to see. And you see it. We've seen it even this in, in church here for 46 years at Green Bay Community Church and things like baptism for us is this moment where lost people are getting found and found people are growing as they're getting into groups and all this stuff that happens here is not for a meeting or a monument or a person. It's so that you recognize no matter what you're going through in your job or your life, you will be measured based on how you follow Jesus and built up the bride. That's the church. You're called to be a part of the church. There was those rides, you remember the amusement parks, they have them more recently, and I don't know if they just discovered that, you know, you're a person that's got a ticket. Remember in Disneyland, they used to have the, the, the ticket books, A, B, C, D tickets, and you've gotten this ticket. And it's as if you've gotten this ticket and it's been paid for, and you're in line, you know Jesus, but then there's this exit that says, your last moment, your chicken exit, you know? I don't want to ride this. 
I think so many people in the church today are sitting and you're missing the amazing ride of the local church. Just those feelings of a roller coaster thinking, mm, no, I'm going to get sick. I probably, some of you think, if I dive into church, I might get sick. I might get disappointed. And this morning you need to recognize, you probably will. Because for all intents and purposes, we are flawed and we wait till Jesus returns, right? Till he perfects that and removes the, the effects of sin in our culture and our world. But he's given us a mission. And how energizing is it when there's this power on a church and we see lost people found, found people growing up, lonely people being apart and not long, lonely anymore, bored people finding purpose. I just, I just, I want my whole life to be about that. So we are going to start this series, and this morning I want to answer, that was all my intro, by the way. And so I want to talk about the launch because for, in order probably for some of you to get excited about this, you have to understand, where did this start? Whose idea was this? Next week we're going to talk about the plan. What's God's master plan for the church? But I want to take you all the way back to where this begins and answer the question, who builds the church? Who is it that is in charge of building this thing? And this morning, your assumption might be is Troy or elders or staff, and you couldn't be farther from the truth. Because truth be told, if I am the builder of this ride, the roller coaster, there's probably a broken track somewhere and we're all doomed. People have come to our church and asked, can you trust, can I trust you as a pastor? And I tell them, no, you can't. I am, you've never been called to trust me. You've been called to trust Christ. And I'm flawed and I'm doing the best I can to figure out what it means to love Jesus. Who builds the church? Let's go all the way back. In Matthew chapter 16, there is a section of Scripture where Jesus is going to begin to tell people what his plan is, his disciples specifically. Now let me just ask you for a moment. If you, had, if you were Jesus and you wanted to unfold the beginning, kind of this prophetic word of your master plan called the church, where would you do it? Would you pick this kind of lofty cliff Maybe the, like Mount Arbel that overlooks the Sea of Galilee, this just beautiful, you see Tiberius and you see just uh, absolutely epic picture. Would you pick a synagogue, a place of worship? Would you go to the Garden of Gethsemane? You probably think these spiritual moments, these holy places. Jesus decides to take his disciples 20, 20, 20 miles north from Galilee called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was built uh, by Philip, the son of Caesar at that time, and made in honor of his father, this Caesar. The city was wrapped around the theme, this theme park, if you will, was wrapped around the god Pan, the goat man god that plays a, a flute. And it was uh, around fertility and sexuality. And so this was this whole city is built around this. In fact, if you were just to say, it's probably the Las Vegas of, of the time in this region. So Jesus decides to take him there. Now, what was going on there um, is you see these temples. This is a rendition of this. There was human sacrifice. There were orgies. There was just massive decadence and sinfulness and evil going on. Jesus decides he's going to take him there. Why would he do that? Well, he takes him there because in this time in the Mediterranean, it's, they don't have Google. They don't have Twitter yet. They're really close, but they don't have Facebook and what's really important is asking the question when you moved into a city, who do people say I am? So if I moved into a city, it would be asking the question, who do people say Troy is? Can you kind of tell me what my reputation is? That was very important and that kind of summarized who you were. And so Jesus takes them to probably the darkest spot of the region. This is what it looks like today. Actually, we're taking an Israel trip here um, next month, we're excited to take a group from here. We're going to go see this spot. Still in, uh, not necessarily active today, but still a place that exists. Jesus is going to take them to this spot to ask them the question, and here we are, Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? 
Who do they say I am? What's the word on the street? Could you imagine the view? Could you imagine what they're around? It'd be like taking all of us and getting on a plane and going to Las Vegas on the strip and asking that question in the midst of the darkness. One says they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, that's what they say. But who do you say I am? What about you, he asks. Who do you say I am? This is the question, really, that is for all of us this morning. In fact, one of the things I want to make sure you hear is that we don't save anybody. A message, music, we only present truth, and it is the God of heaven that reaches down and uncovers who he is. We'll see that in a moment. But it's the question you have to answer. It's not who do your parents say Jesus is. It's not who does uh, do your friends at Green Bay Community Church say Jesus is. It's who do you say he is. Simon Peter, as he often did, answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of a living God. Why is this important? Messiah is uh, a word, another word uh, used is called Christ. Now, for some of you new, it's not Jesus' last name. It sounds funny, but some people say Jesus Christ and think that's like his last name. It's not. It means anointed one. It means the, the one that was prophesied to be the Savior of Israel. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What we said just earlier, when we answer that question, when people come to Jesus, when they find themselves reaching to take the hand of Christ and saying, I believe, that's not something we've done. It's something God's done in someone's heart. It says, I tell you, in verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter. Now, the Greek word here is small rock. And on this rock, a different Greek word that means large rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I want you to just think for a moment a couple phrases. First of all, Jesus makes this interesting kind of divine promise right here. He says, you are the Messiah. This is what uh, Peter says. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the promised one. You are the one that we've been waiting for, the son of the living God. Not only are you the promised one, but you are from God, son of God. This is the claim of the New Testament gospel story that Jesus came, son of God, to die for your sin, to, to pay the penalty for your sin, and he is that one. This is what we teach at Community Church. This is what churches for centuries have taught around this. Now, we've talked about this before in catechism, in, in Catholic catechism. There, um, there is theology around the idea that Peter is the rock, that this gives the papacy, the first pope. And we've talked about this in weeks past, but just to, to clarify once again, Jesus is not saying on this rock because you, Peter, are the rock, because he says he's a small rock, because we know verses later, what is he going to say, Peter? Get behind me, Satan. So Peter is nothing necessarily very solid. Uh, we know that he's going to be an, an integral part of church planning. But it's the claim that's the rock is that you are Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. This is the foundation of the church. This is the foundation of it all, that it's on the claim of Jesus Christ. And so... This morning, some of you are new, some of you have been here for a while and are trying to figure out if you're going to leave church here and go to another one. Can I just say, wherever you go, this is foundational for any church that you go to, that the claim that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God, any distortion to that right there is a place that you should not be a part of. The second part he says is, I will build. I love this. Because Jesus gives a promise that I will build. In the Greek, it actually means the act of building. It means I'm going to continually be building. It doesn't mean I will build like a structure or I'm going to do this at one time. It says I'm going to be building my church and hell can't withstand it. Get that for a moment. I am going to build. It's not Troy will build. Elders will build. It's Jesus Christ is building the church. Friends, he's done it 
when Christians were being killed. He's done it in persecution. He's done it in hardship of times financially. He's done it when the news in America is all about how bad our world is. He's still building his church. It, it, when, when life is the hardest, you think that church could not be built. He's still building the church. He's building the bride. He is building his church, and it's his promise. I will build. I'm not giving this over to anybody. I'm doing it. And that's why we sing and we pray and we give ourselves to this thing called the local church because God has put Christ in charge of building it. And he's moving in the hearts of people. What's he building? Well, he's building riders. He's building people that only get a ride but help build it. And he's going to use their gifts and abilities. And so it's answering the question, who gets to ride? And he says this phrase, my church. The word here in the Greek, my, is actually the word ego, E-G-O. And Jesus, and it's capitalized, my. He's making, making sure, very sure that it's, this is, this is my church. I've had people ask me, Troy, how's your church doing? And I know they mean well, but there's always a kind of a tension, well, it's not really my church. It's the body that I'm a part of. I get to play a role in this, but it's, it's God's church. It's the church that Jesus set out to build, and it's his. It says in the Bible that he's the head of it, and it is his. Now, that doesn't have me step back and not lead and use the gifts I have and be a leader and engage in my leadership gifts, but it doesn't mean that someone has serving gifts or prayer gifts or evangelism gifts or hospitality gifts or creative gifts. It goes on and on and on and on to be a part as Jesus has called them. But listen to this. This is really the first time this word church gets used in this reference. And so the word ecclesia actually meant called out people. It said uh, the way that we would use this all throughout the Old Testament and the early New Testament, the gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, uh, an assembly. In other words, I would go into a village. Let's say we're a village and you were all in your homes. And I said, all right, all people with brown tunics, come out. You know, and so you would all come out if you had a brown tunic. You would be the ecclesia. A get, welcome to the gathering of brown tunics, you know, and we'd create a club or whatever. It is the calling out of people. So wait, Jesus says, I am building my church. I am building into a called out people that are grabbing on and receiving the claim that I am the Messiah and Son of God, and I'm calling them out into a public place. The world. I'm calling them out. The church was never a monument. The church, as it gets distorted throughout history, church tends to meet a building. It's not a building, friends. I would love to change the name of our front sign to community campus. This is just a campus. This is a facility. This is not the church. You're the church. And he's called you out. And he's called you out and set you apart because of his claim of what he did. And he's called you together to ride this ride called the local church and be a part of investing in so that you see his power change people's lives. Friends, that, that power can change your life. It could change your family. It could change your neighborhood. It changes all around you. He says, I'm here building my church. It's my people that are called out. How do you get called out? Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And the message, a paraphrase of the Bible, does such a brilliant job in common language. Listen to the, how eloquently this sounds. And how powerful this is for us, a statement. It wasn't so long ago that you were mild, mired in that old stagnant life of sin. That was me. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. That was me. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. That was me. We all did it, all of us, doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. That was me. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, 
immense in mercy with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. He then picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah, our Christ. Friends, if that doesn't motivate you and just you respond to say, wow, the church is not a club, it's, it's a group of called out people who recognize they need Jesus. Who recognize that they have no other option, that all of life filled with the most amazing things merely fill a thimble in comparison to the universe of what God provides. Some of you this morning are trusting a relationship to be the amazing part of your life. It doesn't compare to the church. Some of you are hoping that finances and retirement are going to fill your life with great amazement. It does not come close to the amazement of the local church. Some of you think that balancing your life and and getting certain accolades at work is going to fill your life with amazement. You... Kids, family, getting married, all good things will pale in comparison to what God offers and calls you to the amazing part of the local church. A.W. Tozer says it this way, 100 religious persons knit into unity by careful organizations do not constitute a church. Any more than 11 dead men make a football team. The first requisite is life always. You know what he's saying? He's saying this morning, we can't fool ourselves to think that we can organize church. I don't mean organize ourselves. We, we're to organize ourselves, but we can't fake church. We can't just say, let's hold a service and gather and put up some songs and talk religious and fake church. If you've been called out and recognized that you need Jesus, you've got a ticket to ride. And you either this morning are a follower of Jesus that's on the ride and experiencing amazement in your life, or you're in line, and you just keep getting out of it. And you've bought the lie that you can be a Christian and not be a part of the local church. And nowhere in your Bible is that allowed? Is that ever permissible? Is that even a real conversation? It doesn't get separated. And so this morning, the call for us is to say, "What's we want to have life, don't we? And the scripture says clearly, John 1, but to all who did receive him. Who gets to ride is anybody. This word receive actually means, is actually to reach out your hand and to grab on the hand of Jesus. It's recognizing you need him. It's like that Ephesians passage saying that I recognize that I need Christ. I, I'm lost. And friends, this is why the passion of loving people, and we can get so stuck at becoming so intellectual about God that all of a sudden I think we have this invisible sign, if you're not perfect, don't come in. If you're not cleaned up, don't come in. None of us are cleaned up. I don't care how much you know about God this morning. I'm not cleaned up. It's Jesus that cleans me up. So we should put the sign, like my friend in, in Dallas that says, has a, a sign in, excuse me, Austin that says, no perfect people allowed. Keep those people out. And that's where the church becomes this great place for people who recognize that and receive him. And it says, who believed in his name. What does it mean? Who Jesus, as the Messiah and Son of God, And gave right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, you have no part of this. You didn't save yourself. God offered that to you as a gift. So this morning, I I think the, the clear step for us, you're of one of two boats this morning. Either you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You might be here this morning and you don't know Christ, meaning you've never, you, you might have religion. You might have had your parents' religion. You might have grown up going to church gatherings. 
But have you surrendered your life, reached out and recognized you're lost and said, I believe in Jesus and who he says he is. I believe he's the Christ and the Messiah. And this morning, he's inviting you in and saying, you're a part. You can be a part. There's a second group of you, though, that I feel like is more appropriate to most of we have in this culture in this area. And that is they say they're believers, and so they, they probably have at some point had that sense of reaching out and realizing they, they need Jesus, but you sit. That's in essence that Jesus paid the price and gave you a ticket to, for the church, and you're on this, you're in line, and yet you keep saying, oh, I'm not going to go yet, I'm not going to go yet, and you evaluate and you sit and evaluate churches and pastors and staff and programs, and you keep waiting, and maybe it's because until I have enough time or until I have enough money or until things are right or I don't like what's going on there. And friends, you are missing what you've been called to be a part that will change your life. I'll say this this morning. There is nothing else that will change your life more than the church. We're going to talk about this in weeks. Paul talks about this in Romans, in Ephesians, in Corinthians. You know, say, the part of the church. What's your part? What part do you play? You get in and serve. Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32, it's not enough to say you're my disciple. It means get up and follow me, and then you're going to begin to understand it as you're doing it. So much of what we try to get people out of their chairs to do is to realize, get on the ride. Get in, and some of you sit. And this is not shaming you or guilting you. It's saying you're missing so much life change. It'll change you. It's changed me. It's completely changed me. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your family. It's changed our family. It'll change your neighbors. It'll change people around you. And they'll look, what do you... You're a part of this thing. You're there so much. You're so committed to this. Life is going to offer amazing things, but it will pale in comparison to what God wants to do in and through you in the local church. The word, I think, that for both groups is this morning is trust. It's like looking at that roller coaster, and maybe you're not a rider of, of amusement park rides, and I can't do any spinning rides anymore. Um, I'll be history. But even in the midst of that fear, I think some of you this morning, God's saying, I know it looks like no way you'll survive it. I know some of you think, oh, I'm going to get sick. And interacting with people, being disappointed, struggling through conflict, disagreement, but friends, then there's this parts of the ride that you're just going to go, oh my gosh. It's when people find Christ. It's when people are baptized. It's when, when people are finding, uh, being a part of something and they're not lonely anymore. It's when poor people are getting fed. It's when you give so generously it looks ridiculous. That, friends, is this amazing ride called the local church. And I'm committed to it and I love every week. And we want to call you in on that. And the team's going to come up and we have communion time. And so there's really two responses this morning. One is that the communion is for those of you who know Jesus. But I want, to, I want you guys to all bow your head. I just want to walk you through maybe your own recommitment uh, to the local church this morning. And as you're, you bow your heads, I, just, I want you to close your eyes and you to ask God this question. I'm on the ride. If you know Jesus this morning, how have you used your gifts? How have you used what God's given you in your, in your bank accounts, in your skill set, in your time? It doesn't have to be here, but how have you used it? Are you on the ride? And maybe this morning you need to just think and ponder, God, I have not, I'm not given and I've just been playing Church, I need to be in. There's another group of you, though, that doesn't know Jesus. You, you've never surrendered your life, and this morning it simply means that you trust 
that Jesus is who he says he is. He was the Messiah, the promised one, that would save the world from you know, eternal separation from God. He is there for you this morning. And all you need to do is say, God, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I, I want to give my life over to him and surrender my life to him. I'm going to ask the first group this morning, if you are people this morning that realize maybe you've been sitting here in community church you're a Christian, you know Jesus, but you've been sitting. You're one of those people that have a ticket, but you've not dove in. I want you just in a, a proclamation to God to commit to dive back in, for you to stand. If that's you this morning and you are saying, I'm going to get in. I've been a Christian and I'm sitting far too long. Would you just stand? Some of you that want to dive in this morning. And we do this this morning not uh, to, to call you out, but more for you to begin to say, I want a part of that ride. And I want you to know, as you guys are standing, your gifts are going to add so much amazement that God has prepared. You are unique. There's no, there's no one else like you. And the church needs what you bring, what God's created in you. I don't know what that's going to look like or where that's going to fit, but he wants you in he wants you in. I want you to stay standing, and then I'm going to pray for both of you. But now, some of you don't know Christ, and you, for the first time, want to claim that forgiveness and claim that sacrifice. Would you stand, if that's you this morning? You want to just accept Christ, maybe for the first time. Anyone in the room? Father, as we go to communion this morning and those standing, God, I pray first, they're beginning to trust. Trust and step out and begin to be a part of your church. Because, Father, it's not an option. If we're called your children, we're responsible to be there, to be the church, to be the church and not a monument or a meeting. And, God, for those who've stood and trusted you this morning, God, we pray for the beginning of the ride as they now get on. And Lord, in, in not even knowing exactly what that's going to mean, God, I pray that you fold them in and show them amazing power and potential to change the lives of others. And so, Father, now we go to the table and remember your gift in Jesus that makes all this possible. In Jesus' name, amen.